Good morning. And Merry Christmas. We are so glad that you guys are joining with us this morning to celebrate the birth of our Jesus Christ. We are continuing our Advent series uh, this morning and continuing it to look at the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. If you remember the first week, we reflected on the visitation of the angel to Mary and how she responded in such a way in which she peacefully laid down her life and said, let it be to me as according to your word. The second week, we looked at the life of Joseph and how Joseph was facing a challenge and a calling from God that was going to require for him a great deal of courage. And so he stepped into the moment and he responded to the call of God and set for us an example that we can follow in our lives. As God calls us to things that are conceived of his Holy Spirit, we step into those moments and see what God is going to do in the miraculous way. And then... If you remember last week, we reflected on the coming together of of Mary and Joseph on the the night of Christ's birth and the place in which it took place, the humility in which Jesus Christ was born into and the humility in which he lived throughout his life. And the importance of that very idea that Jesus Christ in humility was living that way, was born that way, to set for us an example to show us that what he was coming to do was not about the wealth of this world, was not about the establishment of a new kingdom that would overthrow Rome, but about the establishment of peace in our spirit life. Jesus Christ was saying, it's not about more things. It's about me. And so as we walk through the stories of, of the birth of Jesus Christ, we see that each step has been meant to teach each one of us a different lesson about the life that we would live in Jesus Christ because of his coming. And this week, we continue that Christmas story. We pick it up immediately after Christ's birth in Luke chapter two. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We've read this story over and over again. And many of us, as we've, we've grown up in the church, or maybe it's something we do um, uh, when we gather together before we open our presents. But I want to take this moment for us to imagine the scene that's unfolding here. These are shepherds who tend to have rather sedate lives, right? Think about what it was like to be a shepherd in that day. There were no iPads, there was no internet, there was no angry birds, there were no phones to be looking at and playing games. You're in the middle of the night, in the middle of the wilderness, with a bunch of sheep. Can you imagine how quiet that life is? How quiet that moment is? And you're just sitting there, the same thing, the same way, on another night. And then... In that moment, the sky bursts forth, and it is filled with angels. I want you to understand that what we're seeing here is not them having this this event take place where they're sitting there and they're like, oh, wow, that's really kind of an interesting thing right there, huh? 
It says says that they were filled with great fear, and it makes perfect sense because here you are in the middle of the darkness that you've been in the middle of time after time after time after time, only broken by the few bleeding of sheep here and there. But now it is broken by a host of angels declaring something, and it makes sense that they would have fear. And then for them to hear the declaration that was made, what an incredible thing. One of the things that's interesting is they, as the angels unfold this, so they, they say, listen, there, there, there is born this day a child that you will see. And he gives the, they give them a description of how you're going to find him. These particular shepherds um, are, are believed by many church scholars to be the shepherds that tended to the lambs reserved for the temple. Um, it was born near the, uh, the Migal Adar, which is the tower of the flock. And, and it is likely that these were the shepherds who would tend to the sheep that would ultimately be given to the, to the uh, temple for sacrifice. And what's really interesting about this is what would happen so often when a, when a, when a sheep was born that was perceived to be perfect. Do you know what they would do with that sheep to protect it? Wrap it in swaddling clothes. They would take strips and they would wrap that little baby up, or that little baby lamb up, to protect it because it was believed that that would be one that would be available for sacrifice. So what's the description that is given to the shepherds? There you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Can you imagine where their mind would have gone with the declaration that born to you this day is a savior, Christ the Lord, and you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes Lying in a manger. Giving these, 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 these shepherds a little bit of insight into what was coming. So they're ready to go when they hear this because they understand that this is a miraculous event. It is the declaration that the Savior has come, that Christ, who is the promised Messiah, has come. And so they are ready to go and find this little, this little child. And then it says, a multitude of angels appear. And it is in their announcement Their declaration that we find a great revelation about the purpose and the meaning of this Christ coming. Look at the declaration again. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there is the announcement. For unto you, And I love that. I love just that phrase. For unto you, given to you, this great gift for mankind, given to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In that declaration, we get the what. We get who has come. We get what has come. The Savior, the Christ has come. And then the multitude arrive and essentially give us the why. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. Here is what we see. Here is what we see declared. Here is what we see revealed. Here is what we see shown. The meaning of Jesus Christ's coming. Glory to God in the highest, and peace among men. That is what is important about understanding this declaration because it unfolds for us the very meaning of Jesus Christ's coming. The first is this, glory to 
God. The first declaration is that the meaning of Jesus Christ's coming is God's glory. And this is so important in understanding, in understanding the whole story of Jesus Christ and who we are in him. There's hardly a better way to sum up what God was about when he created the world or when he came to reclaim the world in Jesus Christ. His glory, our peace. His greatness, our joy. His beauty, our pleasure. The point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. This is something that we forget as we so easily make our Christian experience about us. We forget that ultimately this is all about God's glory being revealed. The truth is Christmas is about God's glory being revealed. And even more to the point, Christ's coming is about God's glory being revealed. And what this means is that all that Christ came to do, everything he does, is anchored in the reality that it is about God being glorified in it all. Everything that we experience, everything that we have, everything that we enjoy because of the work of Jesus Christ is anchored in the truth. It is about bringing the glory and honor to God himself. It's not simply about our comfort. It's not simply about our peace. It's not simply about us. It starts in that it is about the glory of God being realized. Our redemption, our salvation is about God's glory being revealed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 makes that very clear when it says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving for what? To the glory of God. What is being unfolded there? What is he saying? He's saying, yes, we all understand and we, we receive and believe in Jesus Christ. And as we believe, others may believe and we receive and we rejoice in that. And why is that believing coming? Why is that thanksgiving coming? Why is that salvation coming? All for the glory of God. As each one of us stands here, having been forgiven our sins, having been reconciled with our Heavenly Father, it is so that God's glory may be revealed in the mercy and the grace and the love that he's extended to us. Our salvation is about God's glory. Our healing is about God's glory. When we receive and we understand that through the work of Jesus Christ, healing is able to be given to each one of us, we can find healing in our spirits. We can find healing in our soul. We can find healing in our bodies. And it's not simply to make it easier on us, to give us an easier life here. It is so that God's glory may be revealed. There's the story in the midst of Jesus' ministry that I think expresses that so incredibly clear. It is when Jesus and the disciples come upon the man who's been blind since birth. 
And they ask the question of Jesus. The disciples ask the question of Jesus. Why is this man blind? Is it, is it for because of his sin or is it because of the sin of his parents? And Jesus said, neither. But so that the glory of God may be revealed. And he lays hands on him and, and his eyes are opened. And God is glorified by his healing. Each one of us, as we seek after the blessings of God, it is not simply to bless me, bless me, bless me. But as he pours out his healings on us, it is so that God's glory is revealed. His power is revealed. The nature of his mercy and the nature of his grace and the nature of his power is revealed. He is glorified in it. In fact, we learn in, in, in Scripture is that, is that God's mercy and God's judgment are about revealing God's glory. Romans 9 says this, it says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy? What is he saying? He's saying God's glory is revealed when judgment is brought on those who reject and live in sin, and God's glory is revealed when mercy is poured out on those who accept him. It is all for the glory of God. And this is foundational for us to understand because it's not just on this macro scale. It is not just on this large theological concept scale, but it is meant to define our lives individually. Your marriage is about God's glory being revealed. This is one of the things that we need to understand. Your marriage is not simply about your pleasure. It's not just about your enjoyment. It's not just about, uh, about you having a partner and being able to not feel alone. God brought us together. God conceived of the idea of marriage so that we might show others what it is to live in fidelity, what it is to live in sacrifice, what it is to truly love others. He created this to be a picture of the relationship he has with us. This is why Ephesians 5 uses the, 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 the marriage covenant as an example of the relationship that God has with his church. Each one of us who is husband or wife are called by God to make our marriages a, a, a living illustration that glorifies, reveals, makes plainly seen the nature of God himself. Your single life is about God's glory. It is about showing to others that your fulfillment is found not in, in what others give to you, not in a relationship you might have, but in Jesus Christ himself. That he is enough. That he is your joy. That he is your hope. That he is your bride. That he is your bridegroom. That you can stand and say, it's not about me searching after this or seeking after that, but I am fulfilled in my relationship with God and God alone. One of the most beautiful gifts to the church is a bunch of single people who say, I can rejoice in my status because I have Jesus Christ. Paul made a declaration. He says, I wish that everyone was like me, single, because I am free now to be, be fully engaged in the concerns of the Lord. That's what your life is meant to be if you're single. It's about God's glory. Your parenting is supposed to be God's glory revealed. 
us understanding how God himself loves us, doesn't punish us, but disciplines us, works, works in our lives in a way in which he wants an unconditional love to be revealed. And so he wants us as parents, as, as, as fathers and mothers, to show that same kind of heart towards our children, loving them, caring for them, disciplining them, not out of anger, but that they may grow and become everything that God intends for them to be. Our church community is about God's glory being revealed. It is about us being able to come together and show forth grace and mercy with one another. Us, 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 us living in relationship one with another in the way in which Jesus, and Christ, Christ, Jesus Christ himself lived, willingly humbling himself, preferring others over himself. This is what the church is supposed to represent. God established the church so that his glory might be revealed in a very real way in the midst of the darkness of this world. The first announcement of your life that Christ has entered your world should be glory to God in the highest. That each one of us dedicate our lives in every way, in every shape, in every form for the glory of God himself. The first declaration that defines Christ's coming is glory to God in the highest. And the second is peace on earth. The coming of this child will be the greatest revelation of God even to the heights of heavens. And the coming of this child will bring peace to God's people. And that peace will, will one day fill the entire earth according to, to the messianic prophecy that says of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. His coming was for his glory. And the expression of that glory was to bring peace to man who ultimately could not provide it for themselves. Now, I want you to understand the, the nature of the peace that is being presented here. The old King James Version translated um, in verse 14 says, And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Virtually all of the modern translations agree that this was not an accurate translation. The NIV says, And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The NASB says, And on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And the ESV says, And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The point that I'm making is that even though God offers peace to all, it is a peace that is not received by all. It is received by the chosen people of God, the people who receive Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord. It is those people who experience the peace that Jesus Christ's coming offers them. And this is really an important idea to really understand, to really receive. This is really at the crux of the entire gift of Jesus Christ. What this means is that the peace of God or the peace of Christ can never be separated from God himself or Christ himself. If we want peace to rule in our lives, God must rule in our lives. Christ must rule in our lives. God's purpose is not to give you peace separate from him. The coming of Jesus Christ was so that your peace would come 
through him. God's purpose is not to give you a peace separate from himself. But his purpose is to give you peace by being the most present person in your life. Where Christ is present, peace resides. Five times in the New Testament, he's called the God of peace. And Jesus himself said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but I give you my peace. The point is God's peace is experienced by those who accept and embrace God's peace giver, who is Jesus Christ. How are you a son of peace? How do you know if you are part of the angel's promise, peace among those with whom he is pleased? It's simple. You welcome the peacemaker. Jesus Christ becomes the center of your life. He dwells in every corner of your life. He is your meaning. He is your purpose. He is your life. And where he is, is peace that passes all understanding. And it's amazing because when we look at the peace that he offers, it becomes this total encompassing identity that we have. Jesus has come to inaugurate a peace among his people. And there are three relationships in which he wants us to pursue this peace. He wants us to enjoy this peace. He provides us the opportunity to experience this peace. The first is the most important. It is a peace with God. The most basic need we have as humans is peace with God. This is, it. This is foundational to all of the pursuits of peace that we would, we would, we would endeavor. If we don't go here first, all, the, all other experiences of peace will be superficial and temporary. And the key passage understanding this is found in Romans chapter 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and here's the pivotal act, act of believing, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified here means that God declares you to be just in his sight by imputing the righteousness of Jesus on you. And he says here that it's done by faith alone. Since we've been justified by faith, not by works, not by tradition, not by baptism, not by church membership, not by piety, not by parentage, but by faith alone. When we believe in Jesus as the Savior and the Lord and the supreme treasure of our lives, we are united with him and his righteousness is counted by God towards us. And we no longer are separated from God. We are no longer under the wrath of God, but we have peace with God. We have been justified by faith. And the result is peace with God. God's anger at our sin is put away. Our rebellion against him is overcome. God adopts us into his family. And from now on, all his dealings with us are good. He will never be against us again. He is our father. He is our friend. We have peace. We no longer have to fear. 
because we now have become the sons and daughters of the Most High King, the sons and daughters of peace. The second place we experience peace because of the coming of Jesus Christ is peace with our own soul. Because we have a peace with God, because of being justified by faith, we can begin to grow in the enjoyment of peace within ourselves. And, and, and what I'm including here in this is, is, is a peace from a sense of guilt or anxiety that tends to paralyze us and make us hopeless in our lives. We have the opportunity because of what Jesus Christ did and receiving him as our Savior and being united with, with, with our Heavenly Father to be able to venture into this life knowing that God is for us and not against us. That God is working in our lives for his glory and our good. And there is a peace that comes as a result of that. Philippians chapter 4 spells it out beautifully in this, in this, I think, precious message that all of us as Christians need to hang on to. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Where does this all begin? Where does this peace that passes all understanding, that guards your hearts and mind, where does it all begin? It begins by being able to turn, it says, and cast all your cares on him. Make all your requests to him. Lift up it in prayer. And the only way that that matters, the only way that that has impact, is when you believe that God is for you. You see, it all starts with that first step. That we have, been, we have been given peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ, and we are now his. We are his children. He loves us. He wants good for us. And we can step into that place knowing that he loves us and in his sovereignty only gives us good things as a good father. And so we can step in and we can say, God, this is in your hands. I trust you. I put my faith in you. And when we do that, the peace of God that passes all understanding renews your hearts and your mind. The picture here is that our hearts, our minds in this life can be under assault by, by guilt and worries and threats and confusions and uncertainties. All of these threaten our peace. But he will guard your heart when in faith, rooted in the belief that you've been reconciled to him, you give it to him, and he brings peace into our entire lives. For many of us, we can be disabled by anxiety and fear and chaos. And the truth is, that is not the inheritance of the believer. Jesus Christ came that you might have peace, a peace that passes all understanding, because you have been reconciled with your heavenly father and he wants good for you. If you're here this morning and you have been racked with anxiety and fear of what tomorrow may, may bring, I encourage you to step into the place that has been afforded to you by the coming of Jesus Christ and receive a peace. Cast your cares on him. Lift them up in prayer. Lay them at his feet and go, Lord, I trust you with my tomorrow. Because in that place, 
He has a way to provide for you that peace that passes all understanding. And from that place, we can begin to enjoy the third relationship of peace that is afforded because of Jesus Christ. And that is he makes peace between men. The third relationship where God wants us to enjoy this peace is in our relationship with other people. And, and the truth is this is the one that we have the least amount of control over. For many of us, when we find ourselves in turmoil in, internally, we feel as though like that we have no control over that. But, but God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ, has given us the ability to press into him and receive a peace. But how many of you ever realized that getting other people to do what you want them to do is not easy? This is the one we have the least amount of control over. In fact, we need to say finding this peace carefully in the same way Paul does in Romans chapter 12. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. For many of you, when you get together for family Christmas, there will be some awkward and painful relationships that you engage in. It's one of the reasons why so many people find themselves depressed this time of year. Some of the pain is very old and some of it is new. In some relationships, you know what you have to do no matter how hard it is. And in some of them, you are baffled and don't know what the path of peace calls for. In both cases... The key is trusting the promises of God with a heartfelt awareness how he, of how he forgives us through Jesus Christ. I think the text that puts that, this together most powerfully for me again and again is in Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God, God in Christ forgave you. What a beautiful passage that lays out the posture that we as Christians can have in bringing peace amongst men. His declaration here is that, is that God has forgiven you in Christ. That the work of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, what he did to bring you into reconciliation, to create the peace you have with God, should always be for, in the forefront of our hearts and in the forefront of our minds as we interact with others. The way in which he has forgiven you provides you the ability to set aside bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. Because you can sit and you can say, I have been forgiven much. I can forgive much. I can love much. This is the call we have to continually cultivate a sense of amazement that in spite of all of your sins, God has forgiven you through Christ. Be amazed that you have peace with God. It's that sense of amazement that I, a sinner, have peace with God that makes the heart tender that makes you kind and forgiving, that empowers you to extend forgiveness 70 times 7. Now, it may be thrown back at your face. It certainly was thrown back at Jesus' face at the cross, wasn't it? And it hurts, and, you can, and it can make you bitter if you're not careful. But don't let it. 
Keep being more amazed that your wrongs are forgiven than that you are wronged. Be amazed that you have peace with God, that you have peace in your soul. Your guilt is taken away. Keep on trusting God because through it all, he knows what he is doing. Again, he's working for his glory and your good in all circumstances. Keep that at your forefront. Keep his glory, not your success or your effectiveness or, or, or your comfort at the forefront. As you are working to make peace with others, make Jesus Christ's forgiveness to you the most supreme treasure of your life. First and foremost, God is glorified because his son is born. And second, peace is meant to be spread anywhere this child is received. These are the great purposes of the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever descending from God to man. God's glory being sung out among men for the sake of his name and God's peace lived out among men for the sake of his name. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is why he came on a day to a city as the Savior, Messiah, and Sovereign that God would get glory and that you might know peace. May the God of peace give you peace. And may he get his glory because of it.